Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today's guest, Dr. Marcus Cowan. Really interesting guy. He's a 2017 dental uh, uh, graduate of dental school, uh, Georgia, Georgia roots, born and raised down there. Great guy, as authentic and honest as they come. He is going to talk a lot about his journey, how he got where he got, what he did, how he did what he did, and some do's and don'ts going into private practice don't want to miss this one as always our podcast fee for service dentist podcast brought to you by kettenbach kettenbach has a new product vesalis fill and vesalis flow it's a nano hybrid light cured composite very strong very aesthetic great marginal integrity a excellent product for anterior and posterior usage also has a flex shade system which is a chameleon effect so it has shades a1 through a4 and a bleach and an opaque shade and remember your costs are lower with kettenbach as it's available direct to you with no middleman costs to learn more or simply contact your local kettenbach rep your local kettenbach rep Call 877-532-2123, or if you want to go on website, kettenbach-dental.us. If you like the podcast, click like, click subscribe, share it with your friends. That's how we grow. That's how we were able to do more things for you guys, bring you great guests. If you don't like it, well, send me a message, sunnyspira at gmail.com, sunny with an O. Or hit me up on my cell, 607-624-2962. Thanks a lot, everybody. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet, our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door, and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns, and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today, our special guest, Dr. Marcus Howen. Did I pronounce that right, or Cohen? How do you pronounce it? I said Cowan, that's it. Cowan? Okay. All right. You know, this upstate New York accent. Sometimes I mess things up. All right. So, So Marcus, you may know from various different dental groups online. I've gotten to know him a little bit back and forth on some... I think it was the clinical pearl site or a couple sites and he had some questions and i just reached out to him and i found him to be really engaging i said you'd be a great guest why don't you come on and like a fine gentleman he said sure so 
Uh, let me give you some background. So Marcus is a general dentist, provides a full range of dental treatments, helping patients maintain and improve their oral health. He's advanced knowledge and training in a variety of fields, preventive dentistry, restorative, cosmetic, oral surgery, IV sedation, implant dentistry. He is a graduate of Georgia Chamb- Chambly High School. Okay. Chambly High School. Chambly High School. And then he went to the University of West Georgia biology degree. Then he went to the Dental College of Georgia. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Dental medicine degree, so DMD, 2017 grad. And then he did a two-year practice residency, the Dental College of Georgia. So we've had a hard time getting him out of Georgia. <laughs> right. But he has since moved to the Massachusetts area recently. But let's first just say, hey, welcome. Marcus, welcome. Thanks for being on. Glad to be here, man. Thanks for taking the time. Anytime. Anytime. Pretty excited. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be like a different flavor. I like it. Should be good. Yeah. Uh, I think your experiences are so vast at such a early point, too, that I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to this. So I, I'm going to first start out in the beginning. Let's go back to because you said you were in a magnet program high school. Talk a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, so I grew up in Georgia, grew up in a, a smaller town called Lothonia, Georgia. And my home school was Lothonia High School. But there was a school that was still in the same zone, DeKalb County, that I was zoned for that was known for a little bit uh, better academics. So I ended up applying to the or my my mom ended up applying for the magnet program for me. And then I got in at Shambly High School, Uh, did all four years there. Uh, Great school. They've since I left completely redone the school. So it looks like a mall. And I'm like, of course they do that once I once I leave. <laughs> but uh, from there, I actually went to Tennessee State for a year out of high school, then transferred, finished at West Georgia, got my degree from West Georgia, and then I went on to uh, dental school in Augusta, and I did residency in Augusta at what's now referred to as the Dental College of Georgia but traditionally was known as MCG or the Medical College of Georgia. Okay. So talk a little bit about growing up. What what your folks like? What was your house like? What was kind of the environment you grew up in? Well, I grew up uh, with my mom, my grandma, and my brother. My brother's 12 years older than me. So he was going to college when I was going to kindergarten. So my mom kind of had a, a real hard reset. Okay raising us but me and my brother still very close we still talk almost daily at this point even though we're now a little bit further away than we always have been um so yeah it was it was cool uh i've been in georgia my whole life so we grew up around there family friends are still there a little bit smaller of a city but everybody was still good there was still a mall you had access to get to atlanta if you needed to get there or wanted to go there for an event or something like that. But it was also far enough away that you didn't have city problems. So that was kind of best of both worlds in that regard, as as far as I'm concerned. 
So what did mom. you said your mom and your grandma, right? What were the, what were their uh, occupations? What do they do? Yeah, my mom was a nurse, and then uh, before I was born, and then she transitioned into being a case manager for Blue Cross Blue Shield for a lot of years. She's now retired, and I say she's a full time grandma. Uh, to I got two girls. My brother's got a boy and a girl. Uh, my grandma was a teacher in North Carolina, which is kind of where my a lot of my family is. Mm-hmm. So the teacher uh, did things of that regard. And my brother went to the business route, and he is a car salesman. He works for BMW of Gwinnett. Okay. So where did, uh, where did the genesis of being a dentist come from? So I always knew that I wanted to be a doctor of some kind. I was always a sciencey kid trying to do experiments and things like that. And um, in trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do, I started shadowing. I got to the point where it was between dental and medical and my shadowing experiences with medicine were, were good. Uh, the field I would have gone into would have probably been orthopedics surgery, which sports medicine doc, I wanted to be around athletics because I played athletics. I played basketball, but there we go. We got a lot to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I also had aspirations of having a family and I, at the time felt like though a great career, it would have pushed the age of me having a family off a good ways pursuing that specialty. So I ended up, I wasn't in love with that aspect of it. And then during my shadowing, I went and shadowed uh, my dentist that I grew up with. All of the patients loved her. Everything was cool. You got to work with your hands, which is something that I find very important. Uh, And it kind of caters to the artistic side of things. And so all of those things combined and it led me to dentistry and I shadowed a few different places, said, this is what I want to do. And that's kind of where the train started picking up steam. Okay. So when you started shadowing, I mean, did you ever go in with your mom? Did you see what she was doing? Did that, where you got the medical, that kind of, she, she wasn't doing hospital nursing once I was born, my mom had me when she was 40. Okay. She was into the case management side where she worked at an office doing claims and things like that. So I've, I've been to her office, but it was just your typical, uh, like an episode of the office. Everybody's got their little sections and things (laughs) like that. Um, and I really personally, my dental history is pretty, pretty bland. I got my wisdom teeth out. That's that's about all that I've had done personally. So my experience in the dental space came really just from shadowing. Uh, I shadowed my general dentist, another general dentist, and I got to shadow an oral surgeon, the one that took my wisdom teeth out, uh, of course. Uh, So I got to see a little bit of it. And now that I'm in the field, I'm learning that there's a lot of different avenues that general dentistry and dentistry as a whole can provide for you. Our show is sponsored by our good friends at Metadenta. Metadenta has served the dental community since the 1940s with award-winning innovation and a large catalog of dental products in most facets of dentistry. 
I personally use several of their products and recommend them to anyone I can. They are a sponsor of the program and are offering 30% off. That's right, 30% off anything site-wide at metadenta.com. Simply use the code FFSD30 at checkout and get your 30% instant savings. From CR-rated Profi Angles Hygiene, High-Speed Handpieces, Burr, Endo, Whitening, they more than have you covered. Their customer service is amazing, and they are willing to walk you through an order at any time. So if you have any questions, give them a call at 800-221-0750. That number, 800-221-0750. Or send them an email at orders at metadenta.com and mention the fee-for-service dentistry group and get your discounts. You know, what's funny is oral surgeons, I think, are easier to shadow. I think they're more like more open to it or the flow of the office or how the dynamics are. Cause I remember I didn't necessarily shadow, but I took a summer job it was one day a week. Cause I was doing summer school full time. It was Fridays. I went out Friday morning. They opened the office at 6 AM. They saw patients and they were done by 12. Yeah. And I remember, you know, going out there and it just, it just seemed like, okay, no problem, easy. And it really was the only dentistry I was exposed to, except for, you know, a couple of things I had done as a kid fillings. And I did have my wisdom teeth out before college and some of those things, but it was, it, it just seems like maybe that's, it's just open to it. I don't know. We do a lot. We have a lot of shadowing, but let, let's keep going. So, so in, in, uh, High school, you were thinking along those lines? Was it in college when you really decided? When did you really say, all right, I got to go full speed. I got to go full court press, right? I'm going for the the dentistry. So I in high school, I didn't know. To be completely honest, like a lot of high school kids, I thought that I was going to go to the NBA. So that was kind of where I was at. Um, I always had an emphasis and felt that academics was important. So I always kept my grades up regardless of what my future aspirations were. Uh, once I got to college, I actually got to a point where I had to make a decision of what I wanted to do. And that's what kind of initiated the shadowing and, and looking into some of the medical professions to see what exactly it would be that I would, would want to do. Funny enough, uh, when I was shadowing in at West Georgia, the anesthesiologists in Carrollton, Georgia, which is where West Georgia is, are all like six, five and above. So they were all very much like, uh, clearly you got to come do anesthesia because I'm, I'm six, seven. So they're like, you're tall. We're tall. You fit in. We always win the, the, the basketball tournament that we have annually. So. Those guys, I didn't go anesthesia, but they were some good guys, nonetheless. It's funny you said that because the guy that I that uh, was um, two years behind me at Syracuse, Howard Trish, and he was a chemistry major mostly because of me. And then he graduates, and uh, Budweiser recruits him like there's no tomorrow to hire him, right? So he goes in, he, and he worked there his entire career. <laughs> he goes in, oh, by the way, we have this three-on-three -three team. And we compete. And they won the national championship with Howard. And I was like, oh, maybe they'll bump up your pay now. But, right. you know, there's there's always like, oh, you'll fit in here. So I'm sure the uh, the anesthesia uh, program was ready to take on all comers. 
Like, they're going to up their game a little bit, bring in Marcus. <laughs> up on the competition always. I love it. We did that in dental school. We had a team called, we called ourselves the Articulators. So we played, uh, we played in the, uh, the uh, intramural program in college. And I was coaching the basketball team. I was a graduate assistant at U Buffalo. And uh, so we were playing and the coach comes to me and goes, yeah, they're talking about this team of guys that are playing in this, in this intramural league. And he looks at me and I go, I really don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Cause we had a target on our back. And anyway, it was a lot of fun. So, all right. So played uh, intramural in dental school as well. We won a couple of championships. In me, so I played in college, and one of my classmates played in college. He was a guard; I was a forward center. So we we got a couple flag football championships, couple <laughs> basketball championships. I got some shirts somewhere. We were skipped to my loops. <laughs> skipped to my loops. I like it. I like it. And that's actually you're playing off of uh, the N one, right? Skip to my loop. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. All right. So dental school comes along. At any point in time, these guys that you shadowed or gals or whatever, the docs that you shadowed, did any of them sort of reach out and kind of mentor you or talk about that experience now going to dental school? Uh, my dentist, the one that I grew up with seeing, she was always available anytime I had a question, anytime I'm like, I remember I called her one time when we were doing removable uh, because in school, as a lot of people are familiar with, when you're doing uh, RPD, they would have us prep guide planes and rest seats, pop an impression, run to the lab, pour it up with snap zone, survey it. Survey it. You're, you're like running 40-yard dashes back and forth between the lab and, and the clinic. And I was talking to her. I was like, is this like – is this for like really how it is? How do you use your surveyor in the office? And she just laughed, and she was just like, that's not – that's not how we do, we do it in the real world. So it was always good to have a an ear to the to the real world of dentistry from her. So that was very helpful in that so, regard. Now you said you and we talked uh, offline a long time ago that um, that you like surgery and things like that. Now when you're in dental school and and you shadow the surgeon, is that like on your radar? Like, hey, I might go into oral surgery. What, what talk about your mind? set as you're going through dental school so funny enough with that when i shadowed the oral surgeon there actually was a patient who at one point they were uh, getting wisdom teeth out during the sedation and i, I had no previous uh, surgical uh, shadowing experience so it was a gal she's laying there and then, like, all of the monitors start, eh, 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 dee, 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 dee. so I'm like, this person's about to die. Oh, my gosh. Like, what? Everybody else in the room, totally calm. No, nothing going on. He, you know, administers some medication. All monitors go off. Vitals are normal. And every, I mean, they didn't, in, in real life, it probably was about 15 seconds of time to me. It was like three hours of like an episode of like Grey's Anatomy or something like that. <laughs> uh, so at that point, I had no idea that the surgical portions of dentistry would be something that interested me at all. Going through dental school, I still was not even sure that that's what I wanted to do. I had a couple of friends of mine who 
talked me into doing the GPR that I did. Oh wow! Yeah. I won't I won't call any names out, but we we talked about going, and funny enough, they didn't end up going. <laughs> <laughs> they talked me into going, and then they went elsewhere. We're still we're still friends, but um, that was funny. Uh, the way they kind of posed it to me was get the education on the front end and then you can start using it and practice instead of going out practicing. Then you got to come back and take, if you take one of the courses, like my residency was over the maxi course, which is through the AAID American Academy of implant dentistry. Yep. It's a nine month long course, typically a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, once a month for nine months where it's heavy didactic, and you get hands-on surgical training with implant placement. But the, the volume of cases you get doing a program like that, while better than nothing, is not going to compare to what you see doing a residency. And so I kind of weighed the pros and cons, and I said, you know what, it does make sense to do this on the front end instead of going – setting up a method in a way that I practice and then trying to go back and change it. So I did that. And I tell a lot of uh, young guys and gals that talk to me about do Should I do a residency? Should I not? If you can get into a program that will teach you a set of skills that you don't have coming out of dental school, I think it's worth the time. That can be endo, ortho, uh, wisdom to extraction, sedation, implants, any of those kind of things. I'm an advocate for doing a GPR. Now, if wait, you're, wait, wait, are you telling me that orthodontics was not taught well in dental school? I, it's like, man, that, I, that's impossible. I, of all of the things they, they talked me out of that by sitting me and making me bend them wires. I was like, this is not, <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> right. They take, I swear to God, every dental school, Buffalo included, every year it was like, well, you know, the accreditation came in and we're light on, we're barely passing ortho. I think they took the standards and they said, all right, we're going to err on the side of less than the minimum. Right. And we're going to almost dare them to come get us. We made, let me remember, we made a anterior crossbite retainer with the little, spring loop in the back that was one thing we did for ortho and i can't even remember anything else and we were quote taught ortho yeah we had to do a, a case it typically had to just do with anterior movement um and but the, you did that we didn't do this yeah i was gonna say the ortho department at the school i went to was awesome so they were helpful it was it was good because it was uh, bracket and wire ortho. Yeah. Good to get to see their expertise on that uh, hands on. I, I appreciated that. Um, it, we didn't get really any aligner kind of stuff. And to be fair, I I can understand why in dental school it's it's tough to try to cram all that stuff in in one go. Uh, if I were to be able to tweak it a little bit. I would say there's maybe some of the science classes that aren't so relevant to clinical dentistry that mm -hmm. could replace with more time and subjects like that. But that's, that's w way above my, my pay grade. All right. So 
you didn't do the maxi course. You did the residency, but not just a one-year residency. You did a two-year residency. Correct. Speak about that. The GPR is a one year with an option for a second year. Part of the GPR is our program is the host of the maxi course. So as a resident, you come in as a almost as faculty for the maxi course. With me doing the two-year program, I think it starts, uh, the maxi course, I think, starts in about March and goes through, I think, November. You start residency in July, like July 1st. So your first year, you get basically the second half of the maxi course. And then that following March, the new one starts. And if you only do one year, you basically get the first half. So you get the experience of a whole maxi course, but you just get the second half and then the first half. By staying for a second year, you get that that half. Then you get a whole year of the maxi course start to finish. And then you get another first half. So you effectively go through two maxi courses. Uh, But the benefit that I got from it is by the time I got to the second one, I had a caseload of patients that I've been doing and I'm familiar with it. So now from a teaching standpoint, I can actually help the participants a lot more than I could when you first come in because you're you're green, you're you're wet behind the ear. You don't know what's going on either when you first get there. Uh, and for me doing the second year, I wanted to see more long-term follow-up for the patients that I was working on. You know the nature of it. Uh, if you get somebody in, they need a tooth pulled and you do bone grafting, well, that takes three, four months to heal. Then you place the implant, that's three to four months to heal. Then you uncover it, you give it a month to heal. Well, if you're there for a year-long program, that's it. You don't really get to see the end result of a ton of them in that regard. And I wanted to make sure that the techniques that I was using were getting the results that I wanted to get. And I didn't want to think they went well and then leave and they didn't do as well as I would have thought because I want the best for my patients as I'm practicing. So, so, so did you go in, listen, did you identify that you really wanted to focus on the implant port part or when you were selecting your residency, did you say, Hey, I want one that has an emphasis here. How did you select did. your residency? I did. So the one at my school at the dental college of Georgia was known for having a heavy surgical emphasis, a lot of implants placed, obvious sedation, wisdom tooth extraction. And that's what that program was known for. Uh, so that was also the only program I applied to. And I told him that in the application process, like, look, this is a great program. This is what I want. If I don't get in, I'm going to go to work. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. I'm not just, I'm not just trying to apply to a program because I don't feel like I'm ready. I feel like clinically I'm, I'll pick up speed with experience, but mm-hmm. this program that will teach me the things that I need to learn. And I ended up getting in there and you know, it went well. All right. So you, you, um, so you go out, but what's really interesting and and, cause you sent me your CV is your work experience starts the moment you graduate. So not only are you doing a GPR, you're also moonlighting. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So in my residency, I, you had to get a form signed through the school. And saying, you know, getting permission and all that kind of stuff. 
but I did a program uh, that was open to that. And then my, my six-year-old popped in. So I just got to do an interview. But okay. I wanted to sit with you. So, so working, I was able to moonlight. So I would go Tuesday, Thursday uh, from about 530 to 730. And then some Saturdays between a couple of different offices, um, just doing general dentistry. One of them was a more Medicaid type office. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, lot of fillings. I did see some kids there. Uh, and then one of the offices I worked at was actually a classmate of mine. She uh, was in my class and her husband was the year above. And so they bought a practice. Uh, he bought a practice right out of school. And then she joined him once she finished on up. And that's where we ended up, um, where I ended up going there on some days as well. So I I thought it was good for me because it gave me an eye to kind of what to expect at a general dentistry practice. It's very easy if you go to a program that has a heavy surgical emphasis to think that the volume of surgical cases that you're doing in residency is the same volume that you're going to be doing in uh, private practice, but in reality, it's really not. So it was. I I thought it was good for me to have that perspective and be able to know. Okay, yeah, I enjoy doing implants. I enjoy doing bone grafts, sinuses, things like that. But the reality of the matter is, the majority of your day is going to be spent doing fillings and your your bread and butter general dentistry. At least if you're in a and you're, you're not in an implant-only type practice. So you also learn how to cut those guide planes for the RPDs, right? Like you you learn how to learn how to do that. Like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so just to give people a perspective, right? Because what you just said is you went 530 to 730. What was your day like at the GPR, right? So you went, what, 8 to 4? 8 to 5. 8 to 5. And then? Residency. Uh, I would just literally leave as soon as it was done and go to that office. And they, I would kind of let them know if it seemed like it was going to be a little longer, or a little shorter. Uh, one thing that we did have that was our residency rule was nobody could leave until everybody was done. And so it kind of like lit the fire under yeah. you. If you were being slow with whatever you were doing to know that everybody's just sitting in the resident room, just twiddling their thumbs, waiting on you. But it did help uh, form a, a kind of a camaraderie between us as residents. For yeah. it, we made a good joke of it. We had a trophy. Uh, if you were the last one and you went after five, you get uh, the fish trophy. So it'd be sitting on your on your desk and and all of that. Uh, but yeah, my typical day was eight. To, uh, we started morning meetings at eight. Clinic started at nine. Nine to twelve in the morning. 12 to 1 lunch, 1 to 5 seeing patients in the afternoon. And then after that, we went ahead and uh, or I would go to that job opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, afterward. And then uh, some Saturdays I would go uh, 8 to 1, kind of a half day, but that was good as well. It did. It, those were the long weeks, though, doing 8 to 5, Monday to Friday, and then it's 530, 730 twice a week, and then Saturdays. They were they were long, long weeks. 
right, but you you survived, right? I mean, oh yeah. oh yeah, needed to do what I had to do. So you know, you read some posts from some some docs like, oh, you know, I'm second year out, I'm working thirty eight hours, and I just can't take it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you don't want to know what I was working. It was nuts. I mean, not not initially, but when I got on my own, I was at two nursing homes. I was working. I was doing all my paperwork. It was 50, 60 hour weeks easily. Yeah. Yeah. And then coming home for another 10 or 20 hours, just doing books, you know? So when you're in the practice, what was the style of practice? And I, I got to ask you, cause it's intriguing going to work for a classmate and her husband. And that's, it was, they bought a practice. Did, did you guys ever like sit down and say, Hey, you know, share some, you know, information about the business side. Did they share? Did you get some of that stuff from them? I would not really, but it it wasn't because of them not being open with me about it. It just wasn't something that I particularly reached out to them about. Um, so when I was at the practice, it was on the days that they weren't there. Oh, so they weren't around. Okay. Gotcha. And, but, and, and, but again, the it was a girl and a guy the girl was in dental school with me so we uh, and and he was one year above so we all kind of had about the we all went to the same school so we all kind of knew the same things that that everybody you know we knew what what we all knew because we all got taught by the same people um <laughs> the business side of dentistry really didn't uh i didn't have a ton of experience with it my dentist, she had a practice and all that, but, uh, you know, that just wasn't something that I asked her about. Right. I'm I'm just curious. curious. Yeah. I, I was trying to make sure I knew how to do a film first. You know, there were, there were a few things that I wanted to get checked off before I jumped into the business side of things. Um, and, and I've, I've since gone to some courses about the business side of dentistry. I do, I have had aspirations of wanting to own a practice. Uh, I was going to go there. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I could touch you on that. I I was in the process of opening uh, or, or acquiring uh, a location to do a startup right out of residency or I graduated residency in June. I worked for a corporate dental office June through into that year. And I started looking to go and purchase a startup and I had all of the leasing agreements and, and the bills and all that stuff. And they handed that to me late February of 2020. And then COVID hit and I didn't feel like it was a wise decision to purchase a practice that was a startup with no active patients in the middle of COVID. Now, initially, like a lot of people, I said, okay, this will probably be, you know, a couple of months, something like that. And then we'll be able to, you know, jump back into things. But yeah, as we see, it's still around today. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't do the startup because I think that would have been a lot of financial stress and strain on my new family at the time. And I just didn't think it was wise. Plus the fact that my wife is, well, was at the time and now has finished medical school uh, with the uh, potential of us having to move, which we did uh, at the end of medical school. It just didn't seem like a wise decision 
to open a practice beyond early 2020 when I had the chance to. I, I got to point out though, you know, your Georgia accent, it's been, it's been calm, but then you said thangs and I was like, Oh, there it is. There it's, it is. I hope everybody picked that up right away. That was great. Yeah, yeah. That's so, great. <laughs> so when did the family, when did that personal family start? Like when did you have start having kids or when did you get married? When did all that stuff happen? Cause that, that's, that's a part of the equation. People don't talk about sometimes. Yeah, for sure. You can probably hear my, my six-year-old in the background a little bit. Um, okay. Came down, uh, bath time. I'm going to actually say, hey, Abby, can you close the door, baby, please? Thank you. This one to this room. Um, so thank you, baby. Um, she was born, my oldest, in 2016. So she was born right before I finished dental mm -hmm. school. And then we had our youngest, Mia, uh, in 2021. So their birthdays are actually coming up this weekend. She'll be, my oldest will be seven. My youngest will be two. So you're in a residency program in 2017. Yep. You have a six-month-old? Yep. So you have a six-month-old at home. Yep. You're working 40 hours in the hospital. Add on another, you know, two, four. I'm going to say those are three by the time you leave the office. So that's six. And a, and a Saturday. So another, so there's 46, another four, five. So you're at 50, 51 hours and you got a small child at home. What were you getting the, like a little bit of guilt or pressure? I mean, how did you feel handling that? Cause that's a lot of time, right? And you got a yeah. young family and yeah. you know, are you getting any of that? I wouldn't say that I had guilt um, because the things that I'm doing are in preparation for bettering mm -hmm. the future for my my now kids, but at the time my kids. Okay. Uh, so I didn't feel that. Did I, you feel pressure? <laughs> Not really. You could say pressure, but to me, it's just that's what you're supposed to do for your kid. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it it wasn't like a oh my gosh, like uh, like you know. But yeah, you know, you got to get it done. But at the same token, you know, we in dental school, you live off loans, you know, and you get $3,000 every three or four months. And somehow every, it, it worked. I don't, I looking at it now, I'm like, how is that possible? Uh, and then you step into residency where you're not in the red, you're actually getting paid, uh, not you know, traditional private practice money, but it's just not, it's not a negative number. Yep. So you turn it in the right direction and then you start moonlighting and things like that. And you're, you know, you see your income increase. So for me, that was all positive reinforcement that I'm doing this for good reason. Uh -huh. I don't think that even now that we live just a lavish lifestyle, but everything that we need, we have. Mm-hmm. And a large majority of what they want, they have. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I say majority. I think if I pulled up with a giraffe, that would probably check off all of the boxes for that. A giraffe and a, and a roller coaster are some of the things that don't get checked off of the list. But I, for me, it's just that kind of stuff is, is what you do for your kids. I, my goal as their parent is to make their lives easier and for them to start 
a few steps above where I did. So, you know, kind of hand up the top, <laughs> run with my momentum. So when you speak of giraffe, I don't do you remember when the giraffe was having the baby? Everybody was watching it online. Mm-mm. When was this? Oh my goodness. This was a while back. And and it was actually at this place called Animal Safari, which is not far from me. It's maybe 20, 30 minutes. Okay. And everybody was like watching because the giraffe is going to have this baby and they put a camera in there and, and it got this viral push. I, I, I it was nuts. And, and there was just a whole country was sort of talking about it. But anyway, you said giraffe. I thought of that. So yeah, you know, I, when I, when I get a chance to watch TV, that ain't, that ain't what I'm going to turn to. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. People were obsessing. I think they, they, they got Facebook and it was like, cause it's going to happen today. And they had no idea when the, when the baby was coming, none, you know, all right. So you finished the residency in 2019. And like you said, you went to work in a corporate place, but you weren't just working. You were the managing director. Correct. So you, you, you had to, at this point, two years under your belt, plus all the periphery. Right. Right. Yep. You had to come out with a little more swagger. Like, Hey, I'm not your average dentist. Well, that was one thing that the residency program that I did kind of instilled into all of us. Coming from that program, which was at the Dental College of Georgia, the GPR, uh, the program director and assistant program director have since moved on. One's retired and one's moved to a different position, so I can't speak to the intricacies of the program currently. But when I was there, they made sure that we all knew that we were general dentists, but that we had a skill set that a lot of general dentists don't have. Mm-hmm. And to make sure that you like value yourself and your skill set as you go into the world and you start practicing. Absolutely. And that's earlier I said, if you can get into a program that can teach you skills that you didn't have coming out of dental school, I think it's very valuable. Because as you know, once you start working, taking time away from work, becomes harder the longer you work until you start going toward like retirement age. So I definitely felt comfortable. One thing about our residency that we talked about a lot is, um, what is it? C1, what is it? C1, show one, or what? C1, do one, teach one. That's it. So you watch somebody do it, then you do it, and now you teach somebody to do it. And that was good for me because you, I feel like you really have to have a really strong understanding of, of, of a thing to teach somebody how to do it in a way that is easily understandable. And like when I, you know, teach people on things or, or give lectures or things like that. I was just going to start talking about that, but keep going. Yep. That sounds like we're on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I try to, talk in very simplistic terms because I like to be taught things like I'm in kindergarten because sometimes you'll get people and they start using all these like huge words. And, and to me that if you got to say it like that, you maybe don't grasp it fully. Um, so, you know, being able to have a skill set that I can teach people how to do it. I had a really firm foundation in what I was doing. And so I did kind of going out and, and looking for employment opportunities. That was helpful. Also, all of the places that I worked while I was in residency, there wasn't really a, a ton of supervision. It was I was a lot of the times the only dentist there or 
if I was there with other dentists, they were kind of doing their thing and I was doing mine. So there wasn't, it wasn't somebody standing over my shoulder. If, if, if I, a root tip broke, I had to get it. There wasn't anybody to call and, and get it. So by the time I did finish residency, I felt very comfortable being on my own because I had been doing that in some capacity up to that point anyway. Mm -hmm. So speaking of teaching and lecturing, right, I was going to get into that because you mentioned it earlier, you said you started out in the um, maxi course as an instructor, mm -hmm. right? So you're, a, I don't know if you're an average dental, you're 25, 26 years old, you're an instructor. Now you've you've taken it. So talk about the just the teaching component in your in your life now because you lectured, you've done things. Is that something you want to get into a little bit more? Like get on the lecture circuit, which is I think what they used to call it. I mean, you want to get in into that part. And so I'll elaborate a little bit more. When you first come into the residency, you're not like up there giving a lecture on how to do implant stuff. Right. You're more helping the the day-to-day, -day, making sure stuff's set up, if somebody needs something, helping out in that regard, as a, as a first-year resident. As a second-year who's been through it a time, you now, you're still not, like, getting up and lecturing necessarily. Sometimes we would uh, lecture for different things, but now you're taking more of a, when it comes to the hands-on live implant placement on patients, I'm now there there was typically one resident per participant and our program had a strong uh, alumni participation. So a lot of the previous residents that are doing sedations, doing implants, they would come back in town to help with that kind of stuff. So every participant had at minimum two people who already placed implants holding their hand through the process. So that is really good. Uh, and I like that because I, I kind of saw what, worked for participants what didn't what what teaching styles were helpful which ones weren't and you know you kind of learn that and it's going to be different for different audiences but but there are some generalities that you can go for with that uh i do uh, have aspirations of continuing to lecture i've done a, a handful of lectures some on zoom some in person most of the time they're uh, on topics related to implant dentistry uh, and digital utilization for a general dentist. Uh, I actually, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, and in the process of putting together a website, a, a dental teaching website mm -hmm. that I think will be very helpful because I do feel like there's a little bit of a gap uh, between dental school and private practice, real dentistry. Mm -hmm. I think that having a site that can kind of bridge the two would be helpful for both dental students and general dentists who are looking to maybe learn new skills or learn a different technique that they didn't learn. Because a lot of us, once you get into practice, you do a thing away and then you really don't have to change that way because you get quick at it, you get efficient, you know what you're doing, you know your materials, you know your stuff, then it just becomes muscle memory. So a lot of times there's not really a lot of change, but there's new equipment, there's new techniques, there's new materials that are coming out every couple of months. And so to be able to have a, a, a resource to be able to keep an ear to the, the dental world, 
as far as advancements, new techniques and things like that, I think that there there would be a big opportunity to help out a lot of practitioners in that regard. All right. Now let's talk about some of the practices that you got in. Explain for our listeners what some of those look like. Because you said, you know, you worked at some places, you told me offline, was that some of the places were strictly fee-for-service, a couple of them were a mixture. Talk a little bit about what you picked up along the way and maybe some things to look for if you're going to go into an associate how you might have handled them differently or contracts just it's wide open talk a little bit about those two points okay so i'll start touching on stuff and if you want to go down or down a road on any of them just let me know uh so in my time practicing i did a combination of things. Uh, I've worked at corporate dental offices and for, I guess I'll just keep the names out of it just for, to be PC about the whole thing. But I've worked at corporate dental offices, uh, a couple of them. I've worked at private practices that were PPO. So they, they took a lot of insurance and I've worked at fee for service offices. And even now, currently, I'm working at an office that we only take a couple of insurances and that we're trending toward becoming fee-for-service. We're just not fully there yet. So they're going to be listening to your podcast, just so you know. So we're going to, yeah, be, yeah. We're going to, help, them, going to help them transition out. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so with insurance, I feel like the, the two are almost different practice models. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so a lot of this is going to be my anecdotal experience, so it's just based on what I've yeah, seen. That's what we want to know. Yeah, uh, the insurance heavy offices, patients tend to go there because their desire is to pay as little out of pocket money as possible. They are not. And I'm making some generalizations. Obviously, there's going to be, you know, there are we're working in a people business, so you can't speak in terms of absolutes. But it, more of the those patients tend to want to go and go where their insurance covers and do what their insurance covers. And any kind of stuff outside of that, it's a little bit more challenging to get acceptance versus at a fee for service office. The patients are a little bit more in tune to the experience. Now, by that, that doesn't mean that for your insurance offices, you can treat people like crap. You know, you want to treat people good regardless, but they're a little bit more in tune to those things. So, for example, if somebody takes an insurance that not a lot of people take and your office takes that, they're probably going to be okay with sitting in the waiting room for a little bit longer versus somebody who's at a fee-for-service office. They, They expect a little bit more promptness and they're paying for that with their the increase in, in fees as a as compared to a practice that takes their insurance. So operating in those two and, and a lot of times I would work not at the same office for five days a week. So I would be at a fee for service office Monday and Thursday, a PPO office Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. So I would go back and forth between the two and I would be able to see kind of the differences in things like that. That had to be tough. That has to be tough. When you live in both worlds, it's hard, I think. Yeah, it's, it is a little challenging in that 
you your your mindset has to be very fluid. You know, you can see somebody at a fee for service office and say they're missing, let's just say, four teeth. First molar in every quad, and they've got uh, a couple of chip teeth. And you say you need a couple of uh, onlays and four implants. They're like, okay, can we do it all in the same day or how are we doing? Not always, but that that kind of thing has happened uh, versus the same mouth on a different person in the PPO heavy office may be like, what's my insurance cover? And I've had scenarios where you'll do one crown this year, another crown next year, and, you know, kind of stuff like that. Now, there are also insurance patients who are like, can we do it all in one visit? So it happens at both places. But the rate that that happens is, in my experience, higher at the fee-for-service practice. Now, I got to ask you, Mm -hmm. do you present your cases differently in the different environments? And that's a great question. So I actually got a really good lesson in this in residency. So to to this date, one of the probably the biggest case that I've done, it was a combo case between myself and a resident who was a second year when I was a first year. He did all of the surgical portion of the treatment and I restored. And it was full mouth rehab. Uh, all of the teeth that were there either crowns or bridges and implants to restore certain uh, edentulous segments. And that patient visually, if you were to just see him walking down the street, you wouldn't assume that he was absolutely loaded. And he came in, he probably had 12 teeth. All of the 12 teeth had cavities, salvageable, but had decay. And he was the coolest dude and and you think my my me saying thing he that's how he talked all the time uh he actually was a chicken farmer and he owned several chicken farms so he he was a multi-millionaire he just it wasn't a priority to him yeah. to have to be nice his priority was to work uh and this patient started dating a young lady and he was like you know what i guess it's time for me to fix my teeth and he paid for the whole thing up front with a with a debit card. So that kind of told me like, hey, just present it and make sure you explain it, ask the patient if they have any questions and just let them decide. That's one thing that I feel like in dentistry, we do a lot that causes a lot of provider stress. We try to weigh out pros and cons for patients. We try to make decisions for patients. And I'll use a cracked tooth as an example. Sometimes I, you okay, you crack tooth and you're going to, you, you need a crown and, and, and okay, let's do the crown. And you just tell them your tooth's cracked and you need a crown. Well, then if it's sensitive after they need endo, now you're kind of feel bad or if the tooth, uh, six months later abscesses and has to be pulled, then you kind of take the blame on yourself because you told them to do it. And it didn't go well, and you, you, you're upset about that. And I think it's uh, understandable to not be happy when some of your treatment doesn't go in an ideal way. Mm-hmm. But my approach for situations like that now is I tell the patient what I see. I, I use a lot of photography in my 
case presentations with patients. And, and I show them what I see. Hey, this tooth that you have, as you can see, it has a very large metal filling in it that's taken up a lot of the tooth. This tooth is half filling, half tooth. You see these, and I pull up a big picture. We have mouthwatch cameras. I have a, a little digital camera that I use. <laughs> you see these crack lines, and I point to them. They're like, yeah. So the tooth's flexing apart, blah, blah, blah. I'll cut it short, but just so it's cracked. The recommendation for a cracked tooth is to put some sort of full coverage restoration on it, whether that be crown onlay. Cracks can be very hard to see. So it could need endo, could, you know, could need to be pulled. What do you want to do with this information? What do you want to do? And and then at that point, I can go to sleep just fine knowing that we I gave them all the information they needed to make a decision. And then the patient chose. So then I, if and it when approaching it that way, it doesn't I, I can't think of a time that it's happened. But uh, on an example, somebody with a deep feeling that I didn't want to jump right in the endo on. I tell the patient the decay is very close to the nerve. If you want to be proactive, we can go ahead and get the root canal done and be done with it. We could also try to do a filling, but if it gets sensitive, then we kind of know what we got going on. And when you present all of that on the front end, when that patient calls, they're like, yeah, I know we try. And I take pictures so they see how deep the decay was, all that. When it fails, they're now, I won't say fails, when a, a good buddy of mine, when the a, a tooth doesn't respond well he says that uh and this is todd in philly hey what's up todd uh he says that a healthy tooth will respond positively to your treatment and i stole that from him so the patients understand oh, yeah it's a little sensitive i guess you know the bacteria did what they had to do so i guess i need to go get that root canal now nah, they're not mad they're not saying oh the tooth you worked on is, is sensitive now you got to put that that time in on the front end to educate them, and then uh, on the back end, I don't I don't really have any issues in that regard. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. So, getting back to the other thing, what are some of the things that you encountered that you would like to help some young or some some docs that are going into associateships or doctor re- working relationships? Things to look for and avoid, like don'ts. What are some of the don'ts? The don'ts, don't try to go through your first contract by yourself. I think that there is some verbiage in these contracts that even though I've seen a number of them, stuff still slips by me. So at least have a colleague look at it. Ideally, you could have a lawyer look at it because a lawyer wrote it and they are verbal wizards and they say stuff in the trickiest of ways uh, that you won't think is is a problem until you're like ready to leave and it's like what do you mean i gotta you know pay you to leave what what kind of so that uh some things to avoid really long notice periods before you have to leave um any kind of verbiage that says so the back end not the front end yeah back end yeah not the entry point the exit point and and a, a lot of the corporate offices will have things in place that'll say you get a sign-on bonus 
but in the contract, what it'll say is you owe it back to them if you leave before a certain time. And then in addition to that, what ends up happening is, let's just say the sign-on bonus for simple math sake is uh, 10, 10 grand. Well, you they pay you 10 grand, it gets taxed, so you only get 6,500 bucks. But, and, and let's just say they say you, if you leave before two years, you got to pay the whole thing back. Well, when you pay them back, you don't pay them back 6,500, you pay them back 10 grand. So you're right. actually in the whole 3,500 because of the way the contract was worded. So there's a lot of stuff like that that's in place. Um, really large restrictive covenants. I see a lot of stuff in the online space about saying it's probably not enforceable. I can't speak to that personally because I haven't been in court over a contract situation. What I can say is even if that is the case, there's a lot of costs associated with legal fees. So yes, you may be able to get out of it, but I don't know that I would just blindly accept any kind of radius uh, without the understanding of what all is it going to take to get out of that. Um, also making sure that offices are open with their numbers with you when you're coming on it, to me, it's a, it's a red flag. If this, uh, you're looking at an office and they're like, Oh, we need an associate. You're going to come in here. You're going to be able to produce a ton. And then you start asking about, you know, accounts receivable and collections and things like that. And they're like, we don't share books. Well, eh, that's that's a little iffy to me. So I would avoid that kind of thing. Uh, also, and this is going to be a little tougher for, for new grads, start thinking about what kind of dentistry that you want to do. And you might not know that. You might not have a clue coming out of dental school. Because if I, in 2017, when I was graduating, if I were to try to tell you exactly what it is I wanted to do, I would answer that question differently today than I would have back then. But I think it's important to at least go somewhere that you can see yourself in at least the foreseeable short-term, medium-term future. And I say that to say if your, your areas of interest are cosmetics and you want to do a bunch of veneers and all that stuff, it may not be the best situation for you to go work in a Medicaid office. Or if you are somebody who doesn't like fine detail stuff like cosmetic dentistry, you know, you may not want to go work for a dental spa, you know? So you just got to, even if the pay is nice, you, you might not like it in that, that, that may not be a good fit for you. So you just, you got to understand that, that dynamic. Let me ask you this question now. Mm -hmm. You were going to buy a practice in 2020, or you were going to start up your own practice in 2020. Right. What would that look like compared to what, if you started up now in 2023, what would that look like now and compare the two? I, just some highlights, right? What's the difference? Oh, I wanted my reason for wanting a startup at that point in time, instead of buying an existing practice was because I wanted to make sure that everyone who was a part of the team of that practice was aligned with the practice philosophy that I had. 
And I know that that can be an area of challenge when purchasing an office that has been doing things a particular way the entire time it was there previous to you getting there. Uh, I always would have aspired to have an office that had a lot of technology, scanners, 3D printers, mills, things like that. I, I see a lot of benefit. Probably in 2020, a, a mill would have been something that would have been high on my list of things to buy. And while I think that Serac is a great tool, I don't know that that would be one of the first things that I would look into getting if I were to open it now. I think that a 3D printer has a, a, a number of applications from bite guards, models, surgical guides. You can even now 3D print fillings, permanent restorations, things to that regard. So I would do that. And if I did it now, I would be working with uh, a lab that is good with a lot of gold. I, I think I do a lot more gold now than I did when I first came out uh, because I just think the material is the best one that we have. Uh, I also, from a size standpoint, if I open a practice now, it would be a lot smaller and more, I, maybe five, six ops. I don't, I wouldn't have any interest on expanding beyond that. And I really would like to probably aim more toward one column with some room for emergencies in the schedule with an emphasis on like super high quality work using the higher end labs and doing it like that, but working at a pace where I can sit back and the patient and I can just chat for the first 10 minutes of the appointment rather than two columns with three hygiene, you know, running all day long. That that probably would have been a little closer to what I would have looked to do in 2020 versus what I would want to do now would be slow down the pace, uh, higher fees, but also really, really high quality dental work. Not to say that the other time the quality was going to be bad, but just the emphasis on marketing to the patients would just be that we are striving for clinical excellence. And so the goal would be to get patients that would come to me looking for that. Perfect. Perfect. So I'm going to wrap it up. Now, I do want to, if people want to get in touch with you, right, The you had sent me on your on your cv like your number and and your your email i'm gonna share that with folks in the notes right yeah so my any other things like websites or anything you want to hit on so i post i have an instagram that is dedicated to just clinical posts so it's my name marcus cowan m-a-r-c-u-s cowan c-o-w-a-n d-m-d so that's d as in david m as in mary d as in david yeah. That's my Instagram account. My email is that same thing, Marcus Cowan DMD at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out anybody with any questions, any concerns, uh, any you have any clinical questions, any life questions, anything like that. Um, I'll be glad to chat with you. And once I get a little bit more uh, going with the website, I'm sure I'll be back on here and, and, and fill you in about that as well. Okay. Well, so last, what, what, tell us what you got going on right now. You're working in mass now. 
Yep. So we recently moved to Massachusetts. Like I said, my wife's residency is up here. So I'm working at an office in a city called Newton. Newton. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. So working at the office in Boston College, right? Uh, to be honest, I we haven't been here two months yet. I have no idea where Boston College is. <laughs> um it's at the end of the line, right? The green line, I think it is. There is some train that is the T, maybe. Yeah, the T. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's not too far down the way. Hmm. Uh, I think doing general dentistry, uh being able to bring the surgical skill set to the practice that I'm at. Is not stuff that they were doing before I got here. So that I think is good for our patients at the office to be able to have uh, to be able to get things taken care of uh, in-house. I think that's always helpful because patients like to stay in one place if they could. Uh, so I'm seeing patients there now uh, throughout the week. So if anybody needs a clinical tip or they need a filling, you feel free to swing on by. <laughs> All right, last, last question. If you could go anywhere back in time and visit or talk with anyone or see anything or experience anything, where would you go? It's wide open. That's That was a – okay. So the things that come to mind, I don't know that I could – there's – Back in time. Um, well, one, I would go to like 2010 and like buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> that would be <laughs> And I'd be probably drinking pina coladas on a yacht somewhere right now. Um, but if I could go back um, and talk with anybody, I like ancient Egypt, I think would be fascinating to see in person because there's a lot of uh, uncertainty with how everything was done at that time. So being able to see that in real time, I think would have been uh, one of the first places that I would, would go to to visit if I had a time machine after I bought the Bitcoin. See, <laughs> no one's answered like that. Let me tell you, that was a good one. <laughs> I get Bitcoin, I make my million, then I build my own time machine. Right, I got three time machines. The other ones in the Better shop. Better the DeLorean. I ain't going like back right, to the future. Right, right. <laughs> got the Lambo, the Lambo time travel. <laughs> All right, well, man, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much, Marcus. And people want to hit you up. I should have said, I know you're a little younger. I should have said, okay, what's your IG? Because that's like that's the new medium, right? That's yeah, not something I'm really good at, but. It's we got our we got our podcast on there, our basketball podcast. So, all right, all right, man. Well, thank you. People reach out to Marcus. You want to hit hit him up? IG Marcus Cowan DMD. Same thing as his Gmail. Same as me. You know what? Don't make it complicated. Just use your name, and right. and we will put some of that in the show notes. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Look forward to talking with you again, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, 
visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.